to My Turn Podcast, a games podcast hosted by extra competitive siblings. My name's Jem and I'm joined by honorary sibling Tim. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. 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 Hi. Uh, And welcome to you listeners. We've been on a little hiatus because we've been busy doing things stuff and things Um, but we are back now to bring you some more fantastic games chats Uh, what have we got in store for our listeners today Tim well shortly after we recorded our last episode we went on a little journey as part of the London Games Festival they run an exhibition of sorts interactive exhibition at Somerset House called Now Play This. So I think we should kind of give our thoughts and feelings on what we got up to in the exhibits and some of the games we played. Um, yeah. And then following that, uh, I've got a game to talk about called Patchwork, which is a two-player board game. How about you? And I've got a game to talk about called Herd Mentality. And I think that uh, these games can also sort of loosely relate to some of the themes explored by the Now Play This um, exhibition. But we'll yeah, get I into think so. that. I think so. Yeah. So the general theme this year for Now Play This was the intersection of games and democracy. So there was yes. a lot of exploration of how politics works at the minutiae, but also how power works generally Tim, between societies. Little things. In, oh, in, okay. in little things. So the, the little details of politics, but also the big <laughs> ideas about power, levels. power in society. Right. Power so I, and society. I thought if I kind of try and give a little overview of all the things that we played and then we could chat about them. How about that? Yeah, do that. Uh, my memory is not as good as Tim's. He's very good at this <laughs> stuff. But it was what I remember before you uh, round up what we actually did mm-hmm. is that it was a lovely little field trip for my turn podcast and I did have fun. So let's yes. hear what that day involved. It was nice to go out and about for gaming where you go <laughs> yeah. and explore around beautiful settings rather than just be sat exactly. on your sofa. So I thought the, the first one I'd remind you of is actually a really simple, quite traditional game called Playing Democracy, which was essentially a game of Pong um, mm. where you control it through your body because it uses a connect. So you're on um, two sides, you run backwards and forwards to move your paddle. But what makes it specific about kind of power balance and democracy is that when you win a point, you get to decide how your opponent then gets treated, whether you want a fair Mm -hmm. game next time, whether you want to put them at a disadvantage or whether you want to actually give them an an advantage. So that's kind of what it's playing with is it's essentially saying the winners set the rules, which is actually quite different to a lot of games whereby they try to make it more even by giving the loser an extra advantage. Yeah, like Blue Shell in Mario Kart. Exactly, yeah. Most games (laughs) want to try and redress the balance. But in this game of Pong, it was very punishing if you lost anything at all at any time. Did you enjoy playing it? Yeah. I absolutely love playing this. And what happens, the way you're punished, is that your Pong-type paddle gets smaller. (laughs) (laughs) So you have, like, less surface area to hit uh, the ball back and defend your corner, as it were. But I absolutely love playing this. It's a really physical game. Um, And one, I really enjoy things that, that really combine a lot of physicality 
with actually a bit of skill. So the running up and down on the sort of sensor um, track was really fun. Um, but what we realised is it had become uncalibrated while, <laughs> while other people had been playing it ahead of us. Um, and also in the room, um, if any spectators stood behind you, because this was a big public um, exhibition, so people coming in and out of different game rooms, if they stood behind you, that would also add to this sort of like sense of mismatch. So that was quite a funny thing to navigate. Um, and I quite enjoyed that when the room was just me and you after a while, uh, we we kind of helped them figure out what was wrong with it. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. quite nice. I felt like I was improving the game by just being there. <laughs> <laughs> we were democratically yeah. improving the uh, exhibition experience. Yeah, the facilitator was only really just figuring out how it all works. It, it reminded me, though, that of the days when we did play uh, games with Connect that... There was yeah. always a little bit of a challenge in getting it to work properly. Um, I remember actually when it was first being built and tested, I was working for Microsoft and mm. the the testing labs were, let's just say they were very optimum <laughs> for experimenting <laughs> with the Kinect. And then, yes. and because it was built in America where people have big homes, they really didn't think about the practicalities of putting it, for example, <laughs> in small British living rooms where you really yeah. didn't have enough space to use a Kinect properly. Stuff. That and said, <laughs> I actually quite miss, yeah, cups of tea flying everywhere. Um, I, that said, I actually did... It made me quite nostalgic for those days of mm. even the slightly shonky playing of Connect or e indeed Wii. I was like, yeah, I really I miss that that just sort of got abandoned a bit, you know. I mean, I know yeah. I know Wii has sort of come back with different experiences, but I feel like as a whole... Yeah, yeah. Had, I feel like Nintendo are the only ones who are still really doing that with any sort of meaningful uh, content. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and as someone who's got a Switch, like there's a few things recently, like uh, Ring Fit Adventures, for example, that does it really well and is actually way more precise than you'd think it would be. But yeah, there is there is a nostalgia about it. And mm. I sort of love when it is a bit janky, but you find ways to sort of cheat the yeah. system because it's a bit janky. Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Like when you figure out with Wii, with Wii Bowling, I remember there was like... There was just a little trick to doing it that didn't quite require getting all the way down into your full bowling stance. Mm -hmm, <laughs> like, it's mm -hmm. really fun. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really fun game. Um, and I think that a very sort of telling um, uh, experience to have with people that you know, because I think I, I could predict which people would screw me over. <laughs> when they were doing well and which people would be fair and to be uh fair to you tim you were very fair because you were you were much better than me i was just <laughs> struggling to run up and down quick enough because we yeah yeah where it was so out of sync with the sensor we were literally having to run from the front wall of the room to the back right the way to the back wall which was much bigger than the track that you were meant to run on <laughs> and i've got little legs and i'm like no 
<laughs> yeah. So you took pity I, on me. I punished you. you. I punished you for the first round, and then <laughs> I and then I did a fair second round, which you still lost anyway. Um, moving <laughs> on to the next game, I remember the redistricting game, which was a sit oh, down yes. at the computer and play about oh, with this. So yeah. redistricting game was basically about redrawing um, lines across a map with different population densities. And it was really to sort of teach people about gerrymandering. So, um, which it, which is this practice that happens particularly in the US where voting lines get redrawn by the people in power to make sure that they stay in power by looking at where kind of different voting populations mm-hmm. sit. Uh, so gerrymandering, yeah. not not filibustering as uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you confused. thought it was. <laughs> I, thought filibust- I thought gerrymandering was filibustering, which is where you just talk and talk and talk to use up court time. Um, <laughs> I just remember an episode of, uh, was it Parks and Rec? Yeah. Where they, <laughs> where they just talk for a whole session anyway digress but yeah so gerrymandering I learned what that actually meant and Mm -hmm. it was quite fun this because um when like we've just in the UK for example had our uh, nationwide local elect local local government elections and Mm. you think you think about it um more on the lines of like where smaller sort of population concentrations are and I think that this like makes you think again about how politics works up and down a nation and especially in a nation where those lines can quite easily be redrawn as you said um in the states the people in power can do that they can like lobby to get that done and it happens quite a lot and it Mm -hmm. makes you think again about how fair even voting is when you think voting is the most democratic thing we can do but when a bunch of people who all have the same opinion live, live in a small neighbourhood and you can draw a line around that and say, this is a district. Um, yeah. <laughs> it does kind of open your eyes to how even that system of democracy, the, the right to vote, can be played. <laughs> it <laughs> so does. It's quite interesting. Um, a- another game which I think makes you think less, but was uh, no less fun, was Data Points Political Party which is essentially a uh, button smashing uh, game. Yes. Where, which is um, meant to demonstrate, well, it does demonstrate real life election results where it shows you the split uh, between different political parties. But um, what it asks you to do is to work as a team to hit colored buttons and uh, a lot, like quickly, to build up the numbers that represent the election results you're seeing on screen. So the coloured bars are kind of growing and shrinking. The problem with that is you have six different coloured buttons in front of you, but they keep changing colours. So whereas you begin by going, oh, we need lots of blue, smash the blue, underneath your hand it turns to yellow or something, and then you you notice that it's not, the screen isn't quite going the way you think it is. So I'm not sure how much it actually made me think about democracy, but it was a fun button-smashing game. It was a fun button smashing game, I agree. But also, yeah, it felt like a very uh, <laughs> loose connection <laughs> to the theme. But also, my bigger problem with that game was the fact that you're hitting the buttons with your hand and the buttons are below you. So it's like a, almost like a little tabletop. So while your hand is over it, you cannot see the colour of the button. You have to like physically move your hand out of the way to see. So I feel like that's a bit of a design flaw. I think what would have been better because there's four different buttons, 
was to have the buttons change the corresponding button color change on the screen and mm-hmm. then mentally you'd have to use skill to remember like okay top button was blue now it's green rather than that change under your hand um when you can't see it so yeah, yeah i mean really fun <laughs> it was very frantic we were just like ah! <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's a lot of lot of shouting a lot of frustration going on um, but it was good. It was a bit like whack-a-mole, I would say, in terms of like yeah. you have to look where all the buttons are moving and everything. But yeah, yeah I agree with you. And I think um, these games were still sort of under development, right? They weren't like mm-hmm. the finished product. So yeah, I mean, for a game that's sort of being tested, it worked. It was just about tweaking it for user experience, I think. Yeah, and to be clear, I think a lot of the games are more like um, exhibitions or studies. Yeah. They're not necessarily something that you're going to be able to download on your Xbox. Yeah, <laughs> they're absolutely. more more ex- temporary and experiential. Um, so another game that I um, I thought was uh, like fun and quite a, a thinker and a bit of a button smasher was Flag for Removal which is where you um, are pitted against AI that's been trained to moderate offensive social media posts. Oh, yeah, so... this was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I just remembered. <laughs> so do you want to describe it, if you remember that one? Um, so basically, you had to... Um, you got... It was really, really tight on time. I can't, Do you remember how long you had? Was it two minutes or one minute? Oh, no, I think you got more like 10 seconds. Oh, it was... Okay, well, I I haven't remembered it accurately. Anyway, it just felt like a really tiny amount of time, let's say 10 or 20 seconds, and you had a bunch of um, social media posts just flash on the screen, so (laughs) one at a time, but you had to clear as many as you could in the, for example, 10 seconds. So not only did you have to read the post, but then you had to decide if it was offensive or not, and some of them were so stupid, like, (laughs) obviously not offensive, but... Because they were stupid, you had to really go, ah, God, ah, oh, is it, oh, God, I've got to get it in the time. But some of them were offensive. And so um, there was a real, there was a real challenge in there, I thought. It was almost impossible. But the point of that very strict time um, restraint was to reflect the quota that people that are meant to get, that are checking for offensive material are meant to get through. And so there was this sort of unrealistic expectation thing that I think that they turned up to 11, but it was a really good illustration of like how, how if you're trying to do this quickly and efficiently, can you actually read into any nuance or do any research around Mm -hmm. any posts that might not be offensive? but they've used a word that you sometimes associate with something offensive that isn't actually on its own an offensive word, for example. So it was really interesting because it, it didn't give you any time for nuance, basically, or research. So No, yeah. it didn't. And it, you had to categorise what offense, what sort of label the offence came under as well. So it wasn't just yes. a simple yes or no. You couldn't randomly button bash. You also had to select something. But it's interesting. So the AI that they used um, went through uh, 60 a second that it judged 60 tweets a second. But the accuracy was not great. I think it mostly mm-hmm. came out around 60% or something accurate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actually, even you as a human controller, if you randomly pushed buttons, you'd probably be somewhere similar to the AI, which I, I think kind of says, as you said, so much about how social me- media companies are trying to address this. And the AI they're creating is nowhere near accurate. 
but like yeah. they don't they don't want to pay people or slow down publishing rates either so we're sort of stuck with it <laughs> yeah and I, I thought that game was very successful in making that point whilst also mm-hmm. being really fun and you did want to do as well as you could even though the whole point of the game is you're failing yeah. like, you have to sort of fail because that's sort of the point of these ridiculous demands um yeah that was really fun um There's... do you remember there was another game beside that i don't know if you remember what it was called where you were doing a kind of fake um sort of interview type thing yeah i don't do have the name one? of it but it was you were but essentially taking like a Myers-Briggs test, a personality That's test. It. Yeah, that and it would ask be. you to respond your sentiment to different um, <laughs> statements. And it was also under the guise of applying for a job. It was yeah. really fun. I enjoyed it a lot because I'm in, in my job, actually, I'm very critical of things like personality tests and how they're applied with biases. Yeah, and this like took it to a really funny sort of dystopian sci-fi level i very much enjoyed (laughs) answering those questions (laughs) do you remember any of the questions or the vague ballpark of them i just remember laughing so hard at some of them they were so stupid yeah no and that's that's annoying for us not to be able to remember them specifically but but a lot of them were kind of things that you might expect to find for example in a psychopath test or or kind of like different things about sexual empathy and just things that you would definitely not want to answer if you went into a job interview (laughs) yeah it was like would you run over a goat or do a smelly shit and leave it in the bathroom i don't know it was like really stupid choices (laughs) sometimes um but yeah that, that was really really funny um and yeah, as you say, highlighting the stupidity of these uh, personality tests, which are legitimately used, again, especially mm-hmm. in the USA, um, for jobs as a requirement for people to complete. And sometimes also then sort of um, m- sort of part of whether people hire you or not, which I yeah. think is mad. Or what department you end up in. And I think there's a similar thing in Japan as well, but it's like linked to something even more like out of your control, which is like the month you were born in, or I'm misquoting this massively, but there is something that's sort of similarly to my mind, sort of like out there in Japan. They're all essentially horoscopes, uh, all of these things. Yeah. and yes, I've had to do many uh, in my in my work time as well. Um, quick fact for you: uh, the yeah. various various studies have shown that behaviours that one would exhibit yeah. are eighty percent down to the environment that you happen to be in at the time. Nothing inherent to do with your personality. So, if companies are trying to look for different behaviours, then they have to look at the environment they create first. Lecture over. Yeah. Um, yes, a very different one. That's right, Tim. That's right. <laughs> a very, um, Go, a very, Tim. <laughs> a very different uh, sort of thing we experienced was chorus effect. Um, <gasps> oh, and I this love was that. we uh, you you sat amid speakers, sort of surrounded yes. by speakers with a microphone um, and a script in front of you, and you were asked to speak into it. And as you did that. Um, the echoes of people who had previously read the script would randomly pop up and sort of crescendo into a chorus that joined in with you. And it really messed with your mind because you are at once the person delivering the speech, but then there are other people's voices joining in with you. And so it's kind of uncertain as to whether you're 
you're in control and you're leading the speech or the speech is kind of coming through you. It was a really interesting experience. What, what did you yeah. think? Yeah. How did it make you feel? I'm really interested, you personally. How did you feel? I actually really enjoyed the experience. I did not, I didn't feel freaked out. I saw like a couple of people before us who, it yeah. was it like made them feel quite they comfortable like, when people joined in. <laughs> I think when you stop and start with the reading, it feels a bit like you're being heckled or, or taken over. But I think I mostly went for the continuous approach and just plowed straight on. And as I did that, more people joined in and I felt like I was part of a chorus and I quite enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, what is interesting because I actually really loved that. I loved it. And the more people joined in, the more I felt good about myself. Maybe I'm a narcissist. Um, I really <laughs> like... I really like talking into a microphone. Hello, listeners. Um, which is what you did for the for the as you were sort of being recorded. It was like a nice microphone, and then as people joined in, I felt really validated, even though I know that's not what it was. But it felt yeah. really nice, and I felt like I was like, may, not quite leading something, but that I was creating an atmosphere that people wanted to be part of. Like, so again, maybe I'm a narcissist, but I felt really like like it was a big hug of mm. respect. That's how I felt. Do you remember what it was designed to illustrate or question? So it it um it didn't really say much about it actually, which is one no, of the things I, I liked about it because anything. I think it was very open to interpretation. But I, I think one of the things, aside from kind of like you know, when you speak, is it is it your own predetermined voice or is it something else? Um, I think also, because it's recording your voice and it's reusing it in perpetuity, mm. sort of without mm. your permission. I mean, I know you've given mm. permission technically by, by doing it, but yeah. you sort of haven't. It, it did make me think a little bit about how you continuously leave a trace online with technology. You know, nothing you say or do ever really kind of goes away. It's all mm. there somewhere potentially being used for, for data or, you know, re-emerging at a time when you might not want it to. So if I was going to put a dystopic lens on it, I'd think more about that. But I, I did personally enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I wondered if it was more about um, sort of leadership and leaders and followers. And I wondered if it was purposefully pay, playing with your feeling of power. But again, mm -hmm. might just be me. But yeah, because you, you, there is a sort of power element when everyone sort of repeats after you. And it reminded yeah. me, like half my family are Roman Catholic and having gone to many sort of like rites of passage services over the years, especially as a younger, as a child, that kind of the, rep the repetition of certain parts of, um, I don't know what they're called. Press mm -hmm. mass thing things mass, mass mass. That's it. The thing. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not. I'm not a practicing Catholic. Um, uh, yeah, like it reminded me of that a bit, of like a priest sort of talking, mm -hmm. and then everyone kind of, the congregation sort of repeats certain bits. Yeah. I've got... Or a bit like um, uh, other end of the coin. <laughs> A bit like Rocky Horror Show when you go to the live show <laughs> and everyone's got the bits that they repeat. Uh <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> also that. Being part of a crowd. Um, I've got two more, two more examples which both yes. gave us more power of creativity. Mm. Um, so the first one I'll start with, again, I don't have a specific name for it, but we were 
encouraged to create our own sort of utopian societies. Oh, yes. And this was really just, you know, a few instructions and then it was, the rest was pen and paper. Um, and it did it through sort of imagining like a tube map where you had mm. different different areas and functions of society like um, science and art and transport. And you were asked to um, connect the dots between them and then think about what those intersections could mean. And for each subject, you put down something that you would like in your utopian society. So, for example... Mm-hmm. Um, in, I think, in food and drink, I said, everyone likes to drink and also there's loads of vegan food. And Mm -hmm. so when I drew uh, on my map of of joining dot to dots, I was thinking, okay, so how does that idea intersect with art? And what I wrote on it was that all beer bottle labels are created by new artists. So that's kind of how it it went about creating different ideas. Mm. um, And in addition to that, you could look at all the uh, the maps and ideas that people before you had drawn up. And there were some terrible ideas and there were some great ideas. And um, aside from kind of just enjoying that little bit of creative writing moment, I think for me that the thing that popped up is how impossible it would really be if we tried to create utopia by democracy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was There were some really cute ones um, left over by other people. And I think children in particular had some really sweet ones like there was like the yum yum line and stuff like that where it was like mm-hmm. free snacks for everyone and I'm like yay <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that was really sweet and I liked um that we were asked to sort of continue a map that had been started by someone else and I quite like that sort of mental challenge but yeah you're right utopia is non-existent thing that this unmovable point that you mm-hmm. can't ever put your finger on because everyone wants different things but um it was a really nice exercise and because it was so visual like drawing the colored line and giving yeah. your line a name the arch line or mm-hmm. <laughs> the cocktail line i think one of someone co- oh yes the cocktail line absolutely i'm getting the cocktail on that one. main line it's straight mm-hmm. in yeah. Um, you know, yeah, Gemma, that was really you, sweet. You, you have identified that what the, the original point of utopia was mm. when it was created as a term. It actually doesn't mean paradise or perfect society. Utopia means no place. So when Thomas More wrote Utopia, he was really just sort of throwing ideas around and postulating mm. on what this country could be if it was created from scratch. I think when you read mm. it, you don't kind of think, oh, that's all really a good idea. Like now people mm. think of utopia meaning a really positive outcome, but it's more mm. a thought experiment in what could be. And in that way, I think yeah. it, kind of, it did reflect it. So in that sense, it started as a game mm-hmm. and then we played a game version of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the best thought experiments kind of are games for your mind. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and finally, um, there was uh, another experience we went to, which was, it was primarily supposed to, I will say, be about these robots, these little, these little moving robots that yeah. you put your phone into uh, and you turn on your camera and it has a connecting app that could go to like a computer screen and you can control the movement of the robot through connecting to the app on your phone and then also see where it's going with the camera. And so the guy was demonstrating kind of how this worked uh, by moving across uh, created terrain. Do you want to say what we actually did with that that game yeah. that experience? So the, the terrain, as you said, was created 
by people that had come into the ex exhibition and it was all made out of cardboard and let's say some of it was well designed and some of it was sort of flaky and falling to bits but um it was all made out of paper and cardboard basically and you had to just maneuver your little camera bot around up and down ramps through little um little props and things that had been put there there were there were occasions where you'd sort of look in a sort of piece of mirrored paper or like pass through a kind of flappy door thing so it was quite tricky to maneuver it around but the main interactive part for for us and everyone participating was to create stuff for the robot to sort of occupy and create terrain for it to cross and little it, like it, things for it to discover with the camera while it was transversing the transversing traversing um the little cardboard world that we'd created for it so that was very much the active input i think for us as people coming into the into the exhibit into that part of the exhibit would you agree with that yeah absolutely and, and i think the the thing that's kind of funny and why we've ended on this one is because <laughs> even with all the sort of uh you know genius create creativity and technology on offer for the other games <laughs> that we we did enjoy playing we spent yeah. by far the most <laughs> amount of time while we we're at this exhibit and just cut, just just cutting and sticking <laughs> just cutting and sticking bits it of paper so cardboard <laughs> we made trees we made birds and monkeys and bridges and um we just you know, after after all the sort of chin scratching of mm, yes, democracy, yeah. technology, we just went. Okay, can we can we get some scissors and glue and cut now? Can we get a now? glue gun? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was weirdly so relaxing, and yeah. it just reminds you of the importance of like doing stuff with mm -hmm. your hands, like physical tactile things. Is weirdly is weirdly so relaxing and sort of so important, I think, for your brain. And we put so much, like we took it so seriously, but we were having so much fun making this, like we created a sort of little mini forest landscape with a pond and Tim, and Tim <laughs> made a tiny fish to go in there. <laughs> and I made a monkey uh, that was hanging on one of the trees that we'd created with pipe cleaners and cardboard. And everyone questioned if it actually looked like a monkey. <laughs> but I yeah. But it was really, really funny. And I spent like way too much effort trying to match a ramp that someone else had made on the adjacent bit of cardboard mm, to ours. Mm -hmm. And like measuring it and gluing it and laying a surface, making sure it was smooth mm -hmm. so it didn't trip up the robot. Like maximum effort expelled, but we had the best time. And we were mm -hmm. in there probably over an hour. <laughs> Yeah, we were. We were doing that for we were there until we were there until close basically, until the exhibit basically. closed. So we, we couldn't have done much more. What I will say in terms of kind of reflecting on that as democracy is um, you know, as useful as it is to intellectualize about zoning and, and power structures and things, if you want democracy to work, we all have to be on the same page. We all have to be making things oh, together and enjoy the yes. experience of making things together that kind of work and they and they fit from one bridge to another and also has little cute monkeys in it. Yeah. Now always stick a cute monkey in there and uh, you'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> so o overall, very, very as a sort of gaming... Ga thank you. Um, overall, as a sort of 
gaming experience you know for, as an experience for gamers to come along to and everything yeah. what did you kind of get from the whole exhibit what did you enjoy it i thought it was really good i like at first i was a bit unsure about the sort of unfinished quality of a lot of the exhibits um i, w- I didn't expect that i thought that they'd be sort of polished exhibits that maybe would be going around the country i didn't really read into where they'd come from um but actually once we got into it i did quite enjoy the fact that in some ways we were giving them as much input as they were giving us questions. Um, so for any of the games that were going to be developed, there was a couple of like card games and things that I mm-hmm. think possibly could be marketed and, and sold um, to just general consumers. But other games might go on the road for other exhibits and other interactive um, like learning tools or training or whatever. So I quite like that aspect of it, that, that our sort of way of playing with it, because a lot of the designers and makers were there not all of them, but some of them were. So I think that was quite nice. And that felt a bit democratic as well, if you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, the other thing I'd say is we went at the perfect time of day because it was a, it's a family-friendly exhibit. So there were some children there when we were there. Um, but the time of day that we went me- meant that most people left and it was mostly all adults by the time that we were experiencing most of the games and not too busy. And I think that that added to my enjoyment of the day. I think that had it been very busy and been really like multi-ages, it would have been a very different experience because I think some of those games probably wouldn't have been suitable for younger players or they might not have understood like the questions that were being raised, but also as older players, you're always sort of like mindful of like, oh, I really want to play the game, but there's tiny children in front of me. Like, mm. so I think like it's it's one of those things that it would have it it was nice that we went when we were, um, but otherwise it would have been good if there was like an adult only time and then a family time or something like that, so that everyone could get the best out of it. Because um, I think some of those games would have been better with kids and like all like a big group of you, and some of them were quite good as we experienced them just in pairs or like just a couple of yeah a couple of big old adult gamers just hanging out playing games <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah i really enjoyed it um and i think the ones that we've mentioned are all things that i'll that will stay in my brain yeah which yeah. i think is sort of the purpose maybe not the button bashing as much but the other ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah certainly the idea yeah. as well how about grand you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. It's not the first time I've been to um, that exhibit at Somerset House. I always really enjoy kind of the conversations that go around it. I like talking to the makers. Um, I do feel that possibly there's an option for it to be a little bit more um, uh, curated in terms of being more like a tour or booking time slots. I like to think Mm. of it, it might work better as more like a festival where you had things in our chunks and you decide which one, or like going to a conference where there's different talks, that's what I'm thinking of. And you go, yeah. oh, I can choose five things. I will go into this room, then this room, then this room, then this room. Because there are a couple of times where we walked in and a group of people had just finished a game and we didn't really get to experience it or hear what that was about mm. or, or join in. So mm. I think if there could have been a bit more flexibility in, you can book into a group session for some specific mm. games, but also if you want to go off on your own, that's okay because um, I feel like we maybe missed out on some of the group dynamic experiences and it was about democracy yeah. after all. 
Yeah, I agree with that because there was a couple of card card based games and tabletop games that we just couldn't play because it was just two of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we couldn't even have a go at those or try them out at all. Um, yeah, so I agree with that. Yeah, but re- really good and really lovely to see games doing something so like active in society. I just hope enough people go to it. I mean, I don't know how well attended it was overall, but it's the kind of thing that I think is really great to attend for everyone, really. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it goes on tour. Goes on tour around the country. That's the kind of thing that would work really well in in towns for a couple of days or so. Shall we... um, Shall we do a, a couple of little reviews about our own board games that we've been playing? Not our own board games, we can create them, but I mean board games that we've played. Oh my we've God, crea- Tim, why didn't played. you create a board game this week? I know, week? sorry. What's wrong with you? Slacking I've really been, really been slacking. Um, no, that we yeah. played outside of the exhibition. Yes, let's do that. So this is usually what we do in an episode, if you're listening for the first time, is we uh, talk about some games that we played recently and give us give you our thoughts and give them a review so uh tim what is the game that you've been playing again so uh i played a two-player board game called patchwork which was actually released in 2014 so this is not a new thing i'm going to review but i did only play it for the first time recently um it's designed by uwe rosenberg who's a German guy who has actually designed quite a few games, perhaps most famously Agricola. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, he seems to release at least one every year. He's he's very prolific. Good um, So shall I describe it in, in a nutshell? Yes, in a nutshell, please. And, and um, if you could pick nu- the correct kind yeah. of nut for me, that would be so, great. So because it's patchwork, so it's mm-hmm. pieces, I've gone for pistachio. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Tim. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, in in the pistachio nutshell, the the objective in this board game is to fill your own personal patchwork grid as best you can by collecting and slotting together fabric fragments of different shapes and sizes, like you would in Tetris, uh, before the time that you have to play the game runs out, and you score points according to however many buttons you happen to have when it's all over. But points are lost for any squares on your own player grid that remain naked, that are unpatched. (gasps) So, get buttons and cover squares. Those are essentially the two aims of the game that will either give or take away points. Those are the two main objectives. Ooh, very nice. So, did you have any expectations going into this game and you heard anything about it? Absolutely nothing. I was at a friend's. Uh, we'd had a few bevs. I said, let's play a game. And this was laid out before me, before I even really had a chance to uh, read the box. So all I knew is it was called Patchwork and it would probably be themed on sewing. But I didn't want to do any sewing because I'd had a couple, <laughs> of, couple of bevs and I wasn't quite sure I could thread that needle. <laughs> yeah, you wanted to avoid stitching your hand to something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> real so how was the gameplay for you then when you got into it okay so i'm going to describe how to play it because there's a few kind of few elements at play here so first of all you lay out all the patches as i said imagine kind of tetris blocks um Mm -hmm. at at random and they made out of plastic or paper it's it's all cardboard okay yeah yeah it's all cardboard so they're laid out at random in a circle um and then you place a marker on one of them and um it moves clockwise each player then takes five buttons and the buttons are kind of like 
they're the currency as well as the points in in the game. Mm-hmm. And then someone's chosen to start. Um, on your turn, you either purchase one of the three patches that are standing clockwise from the counter you've put on them. Uh, so the first, second, or third. To purchase mm-hmm. a patch, you have to look at the cost in buttons that's shown on the patch. And then you can move the counter to it and uh, take the patch from the circle and put it on your own grid, which is a nine by nine kind of square grid game board. Then you advance time um, and take your token uh, from the the central board, which is like a spiral that goes into the middle. And you move your counter along the spiral by the number of spaces written on the patch that you just took. So the patch has a cost. You may get buttons from owning the patch as well, even though you just paid buttons for it. And also there'll be something that tells you how many spaces you have to move forward. So you take this patch and you want to put it onto your grid. Ideally, you want to think Tetris, so you don't want to leave any blank spaces. You want it all to fit tightly together, but that isn't as easy as it sounds. Um, If um, your, your time token, as it were, in the central spiral board, If it's behind the other player, then um, you still have another go. So the person behind always takes the next go. Um, Otherwise, uh, play switches over. Uh, You don't have to purchase a patch. You can choose to pass. And then to do that, you move your time token to the space immediately in front of your opponent. And you take one button for each space that you moved. So if you don't have enough buttons to buy your patch, instead you pass, you move, you collect more buttons, but your token kind of moves closer and closer towards the center of that spiral, which means it's the end of the game. Um, this sounds kind of complicated. It but maybe sounds more I'm not complicated. At it. <laughs> it sounds more complicated than it is. So uh, this is the thing. It's um, it. There are many sort of different elements that contribute to the strategy of playing this game, but each element is actually very simple. It sounds complicated when you try to think of them all of, all at once. Um, and that is really the strategy of the game, is trying to decide, am I concentrating on filling my grid so there's no spaces? Am I concentrating on collecting buttons? Am I collecting on? Am I concentrating on minimising how fast I go around the spiral? Uh, otherwise, mm-hmm. the game ends. So there's lots of different things to think about, but each individual one, if you just concentrate that on that, is actually not that complicated. Um, so... Um, there are as you kind of go through along the spiral, um, there are yeah. things you can pass as well. So if you're the first to pass a, in a single square patch, you take that and put it on your board. That's really useful in managing to fill up all those little gaps that you can't because things are funny shapes. Um, and you also pass points, which are buttons on the time board. And that means you can collect the number of buttons that are on the patches you've collected. okay so sometimes you might just get like a button bonus from just passing a certain square yes exactly so let's say i've bought a couple of patches between them they have five buttons on them i've run out of buttons because i've spent all my five buttons but after about 10 moves i pass a button and i get five buttons back and those kind of keep accumulating so you can keep the sort of the ball rolling in terms of spending um so once both players are at the center the game ends and then you add up all the scores. So you get one point for each button that you still have in your possession, including what's on the patchwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you lose two points for each empty square that is on your game board. So scores can be negative, 
but the player with the most points is the winner. I see. So what, is, what worked for you with this game? What were the positives? So first of all, it's actually much more simple to start than yeah. perhaps I made it sound, but it's it's difficult. <laughs> yeah, it it's difficult to explain it as a as a whole yeah, game yeah. without pointing out that there are different kind of pathways, different things you need mm-hmm. to think about. So what I love about it is the strategy involved because mm-hmm. there is no one route to victory, and also every time you make a decision, whether it's I'm going to buy that patch, or I'm going to save my buttons, or I'm going to kind of pass the player in front of me because it means I get the single patch first. Um, Mm. You know, whatever it is you choose, it changes the situation for the next player quite a lot. Um, Mm. Because when you take a patch, you've moved, you know, you've moved a counter one. So say, for example, the next patch is, um, uh, you know, shaped like an L and I could see that my opponent would really like that L. I'll pick the patch after it so that they can't then collect it on their next turn. There are so many moving kind of, parts yeah. to this game that every time it's your turn you have to think afresh it's really hard to kind of think of one strategy and keep going for it so i love that there are spiraling repercussions to this spiraling game yes um so yeah i enjoyed the dual tactics of saving buttons or spending it to cover squares and also that cat and mouse approach of whose go is it like if i only pick a patch where i move forward one and you're two spaces in front of me then i get an extra go so you're constantly just coming up behind your opponent which is also really you know a fun fun dynamic um there are it's it's presented really well in terms of visuals so all the Mm -hmm. gameplay stuff is visual there's nothing to read once you've done the instructions, that's it. So you know how like some games, particularly if they're heavy on strategy, will have instructions written on the cards individually, yeah. or you need like a little reminder chart next to you. There's no reading in this. It's all just looking at buttons or looking at shapes or like a number of squares. So I thought that was great that they'd managed to sort of reduce it down to essential elements. And also, I love that the game is very replayable. So as I say, because the strategies kind of change from turn to turn, you just want to have another game and another game and, you know, get that revenge match on. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds fun, Tim. And was there anything about the game that didn't work for you? The main thing that I didn't enjoy is that it just takes up a bit more space than is comfortable. Because you have to make... Oh, physically? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. So because you've got a central, you've got the central board, you've got your own boards for patches, but you've got to lay all the patches out in this big circle around it. And we played on a big table and it took the whole table. So when you're thinking about, you know, having drinks and snacks on the table as well, or would I be able to take this to a pub? It just, it, it feels like there could have been a more elegant solution for how you move around the different patches and get access mm. to them rather than put them all out on the table because that takes up quite a lot of space. So that was the only thing for me that was just a bit annoying and I thought hadn't been fully thought through. Yeah, okay, well, that's a fair point. Um, all right, and is there anything else about the game? Any sort of I just points I, of note? Just kind of to elaborate on that, that challenge with the dislike, I think it's a really good game for people who want to play it at home, for two people. In my mind, and this is how we played it, is once you've had a couple of bevs and you're like, let's get a game out, it's perfect. Because it's really funny when people sort of uh, dick you over or you have to change tactic. And it's, as I say, it's very replayable for two people and you can spread out on the floor or something. So 
I, that's my recommendation of who it's for. Take that dislike and go, let's just make a sort of stay at home drinking wine evening of it. <laughs> okay, very nice. So I think that brings us to our rating. What would you rate this game out of 10? Really enjoyed it. Nine out of 10. <gasps> very high. Okay. Oh, well, I might have to check it out then. Um, do you think I'd like it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, it's... It, it's that sort of two-player tactic strategy thing. Um, despite him saying, you know, you, you score points, that's all done at the end. So if you want to delegate it, you can. <laughs> love it. Love it. Wonderful. All right. Well, um, thanks. And another game for me to add to my ever-growing list. Of ever-growing games list. <laughs> um, never, it just never ends. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to talk to me about? I'm going to talk to you about a lovely party game called Herd Mentality. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Do, do you want a nutshell? Okay. I do want a nutshell and I want your nut. <laughs> um, so I'm giving you a milk nut or a nut milk because Ooh, okay. <laughs> this game is very cow themed. So, um, <laughs> and there is actually a, there is actually a nut milk making device called Almond Cow, which is like a little kind of processing machine. <laughs> that sounds like the so future. <laughs> it sounds like the future. Um, yeah. So this, this game is called Her Mentality is by Big Potato Games. Um, I think it came out in 2020. It's a very recent um, game. For some reason, I can't see the date on it. Uh, but in a nutshell... Don't have a cow man. This is the blurb. I'm going to read it. I'm cheating, but I like I like the, the blurb. Don't have a cow man in herd mentality. If your answer is the odd one out, you'll be saddled with the pink cow and you don't want to do that. So essentially, this is a game where you you as a group need to individually write down the answer to a prompt that you think everyone else will put. So it's about thinking about the most basic answer and response to every prompt so for example uh, a prompt might be name a food with a hole in it right? right so let's do this now tim let's do this live okay so take a couple of seconds to think right what is what are we gonna say and we've got to say the same thing yep got one yep okay let's do a three two one then say it okay three three Two, two, one, one. donut. Donut, yeah! Okay, we won, we won. So every time that happens in the game, and it literally is that easy, um, to write it on a piece of paper so you can't make it up mm -hmm. um, as other people are revealing their answer. Um, so you, if, if you and I did that and we both got the same answer, so more than one person has an answer that's the same, you get a cow token. And every time you get an answer right, you get a cow token. And I believe it's first to 10 that wins. I can't actually remember what, but it's first to a certain number. And as it's a party game, you can slightly modify the rules if you want to. You can play this with probably as many people as you want. It gives you a certain amount of um, pads to, to write answers on, but obviously it's just a bit of paper. So you can do that with just any old note paper. Um, but that is basically the game. You get to a certain total uh, and the first one who gets there wins the game. Now, the idea of the pink cow 
is that if you are the only person that says an answer, so say you and I said donut because <laughs> we're amazing, and some other idiot said macaroni, then they get a pink cow. And what that means right. is that they can't um, they can't like win when they've got the pink cow. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think, no, they still get tokens, but they can't win. So what happens is you don't want the pink cow when you get to eight or 10 or whatever the the total is that you want to get to. So if you've still got that pink cow, then you might have it for a number of goes because everyone might be getting the same answer after that every round. Um, So really having that pink cow is not a good look. So you don't (laughs) want to have it. But it's really, yeah, it's, it's a really simple game, essentially, in terms of the gameplay. Does the pink cow produce pink milk? No. Oh, which okay. I think is a letdown. I think it should. Yeah. Do you know do you know what animal does produce pink milk? Um I almost said a flamingo, and I know that that doesn't produce milk. <laughs> <laughs> but my head was like flamingo. You're not a million miles know, off. A, a, a platypus. It's actually a pigeon. Oh, Pigeon, wow. Pigeons produce uh, milk in their in their crops in their neck, and it's pink and highly nutritious, but not very tasty. Is it um, actually milk? It's <laughs> is it, it is, scientifically it is, classified yes, as milk. It is, wow. it is classified as milk, even though it's not produced by mammary glands. Yeah, that's that's some crazy shit. That is crazy shit, isn't it? I thought you'd like that. Um, do you want to wow. tell me about uh, any expectations that you had individually <laughs> for the game, or did you just go along with what everyone else was saying? Um, basically, this game is one of those things that I saw in every sort of WH Smiths, in every Waterstones, in like every train station sort of gift desk around Christmas or two years ago. Um, and so therefore, wrong of me, actually, because I do like big potato games. I'm a big fan of Obama Llama, which I think is one of theirs. I'm pretty sure. Just going to double check that. I think it is. I think it is. Um, but yeah, I like... I like their games. I've played a few of their games. But because it was sort of everywhere, I thought it would be not very good. And that's not that's not nice of me. I just thought, well, it's just on the shelf of everywhere. It might mm-hmm. just be a bit crap and a bit basic and like not really to my taste, not challenging enough. Um, I was wrong though. And this brings me on to the positives of the game. And how I think it like weirdly links to some of the themes we were talking about with the exhibition is that it's really a lovely thing to bring your brain to where everyone will find common ground. So if you think like, if someone says the best component of a roast dinner and you think, right, well, I love a Yorkshire pudding, but what is the thing that everyone's going to gravitate towards? And it makes you really consider, like, what is that grounding element? Like, what is that one ingredient? What is that one detail that everyone thinks about when they think about this this prompt? Mm-hmm. And I really love that as a brain exercise. And it's not about being different and unique. It's about sort of finding the common space and sort of... it's. It's almost collaborative, but like 
a thought experiment of how we can collaborate on some common ground that we all go, aha, that's what it makes us think of, that one thing. So yeah, I really like that. And it it's a different way of playing games because it's sort of like the opposite of a social deduction game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like a leveling. And it's really, it was really, really fun. And also what I think is really great about it is super compact. As I said, the bits that are there you don't even need them. So if you lose, like the little counters, they're made out of cardboard. There's a little pen, like a little cow pen. <laughs> made out of cardboard as well that you build at the beginning. Um, and the little pink cow is essentially like a stress ball. Um, that's the sort of fabric it's made. The, the product, uh, I can't think of the words. Words? Words, Tim. The <laughs> material. The, the material yeah. it's made of. Oh my God. <laughs> fabric. It's because you were talking about sewing. Yeah, yeah. Patching um, things. But yeah, essentially, the idea of the game, you could transport to other things. So you could just play that game yourself with some just bits that you find. Anything could be the pink cow, but it's just a really sweet packaged idea. And I think that it's a great game to play when you've had a few drinks because it's not particularly mentally taxing, but you still kind of have enough challenge to sort of find that baseline idea that everyone's going to think of. Yeah. Um, but it's also a great game for families because everyone, like the prompts are very accessible and very open. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just about what it means to you. So if your family, if you all know that everyone's favorite component of a roast dinner is gravy, then you all know that. So it gives you something to smile about while you're playing as well, because you know that you all are going to say that, even though other people might not say that. So it's mm -hmm. quite, it's just really, really fun. And I'm smiling while I'm talking about it because I had very low expectations <laughs> and it really, really made me very happy. Um, also a massive nod to, as I said, the design's really cute and it's very portable, but the box is like, is patterned like a cow with like furry, <laughs> furry <laughs> it's like a Frisian cow with little furry black patches on it, which is really cute. Aww. It's very tactile, it's very nice. I'm glad they um, just went for the, the fur rather than the udders. <laughs> well, there's a pink blob. Oh, okay. That, 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 it's not got other illustration on it, but there's a pink blob that's there on the box that sort of denotes other area. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a really sort of sweetly designed game with a very simple idea underneath it but it works very nice is there anything about it that didn't work so well um the pink cow is very although it's made of stress ball material it tore when i squeezed it oh right <laughs> that's all you don't you don't want <laughs> you just don't want any tearing do you in that area <laughs> when you're when you're giving it a squeeze no one wants that it's just the kind of it's like, it felt like a stress ball. So obviously I wanted to squeeze it because it's quite tactile and quite squashy and sweet. It's very cute as well. Aww. So I just squeezed it lightly with one hand and it wasn't like <laughs> jumping up and down on it or anything. And like the, the leg tore and I was like, oh. I'm, I mean, I'm still no still troubled for your husband despite your protestations, but okay. I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, um... like, I guess, yeah, that, that, just little one element of quality just wasn't there mm. but as i said you could anything could be the pink cow like a family toy could be the pink cow it doesn't really matter it's just a simple yeah yeah i would i would make a person be the pink cow 
they would absolutely <laughs> and they just sit on you when when you've got the the odd one out answer i would fashion something out of rubber gloves and they would be the pink cow <laughs> say some pink rubber gloves on some uh panties and is there anything else you want to you want to tell i mean that sounds like a better idea to me so anything else you want to tell us about the game and who's it for um yeah what i'd say is i played it with my family um but one of my brothers and his girlfriend uh didn't want to play it because they thought it was boring like without playing it they thought it was boring Mm -hmm. um so i played it with erin and beth uh and Erin, obviously, normally on the podcast. And then other brother, Bill and Jen, were the ones who were like, no, this isn't, there's no challenge involved. And I think they really missed out. So what I would say to people, and this is partly a recommendation, and again, like, a, like don't do what I did and misjudge the game because it looks so simple. Mm-hmm. I think it is more challenging than you think it is without it being hard, if that makes sense. There is definitely a lot of thinking that you need to do to get to that, what to distill down the one idea that everyone's going to settle on. And it's a really beautiful feeling when you get it. And I think that it does, it is mentally taxing, but in a different way to maybe someone going, right, well, this is a skill-based game and I need to outsmart people yeah. and I need to yeah. one-up people. It's, it's about finding that commonality, which is just a very different experience to how a lot of games are pitched. And so I would say like, heed my warning. This you don't. This is challenging, but it's a different try, kind of challenging. And as someone who loves puzzles and challenging games and skill-based stuff and outsmarting people and double-crossing people, I love this still mm-hmm. because it was different and because it 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 was so accessible and so fun. And we played multiple rounds of it. That's the other thing I'd say. Um, so I really would recommend it to everyone. It's a, it's approximately a sort of fifteen to twenty-minute playthrough. Um, as I said, you can play it with, like, you need a minimum of three players, I'd say, even though it said four, like, we managed to play it with three players. And it you can have as many other players as you want, honestly. Um, and it recommends it's age 10 plus, but I think you could go younger with this game. It's just about having hmm. young people who are just happy giving thoughts, like, and thinking about what other people might say. I, I honestly think you could definitely go younger than 10. So I think it's a really, it's a game that I'd recommend to most people. And I think it's a fantastic and very accessible party game that you don't have to have on a table even. So you could have it in the middle of the carpet with people sat around in a party setting um, and just pass the cards around for, for mm-hmm. people to just read the prompts. It's very, and as I said, just get a post-it, just write on a post-it if you haven't got enough pads or whatever. Yeah, I just think it's great. It would be a great one to take on holiday as well. Like the box is quite big, but the bits inside the box are quite small. So you can yeah. just stick them in a small bag. Make and your own food. travel version. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. it'd be a great holiday game, I think. Um, Does yeah. that bring us to a score? Yeah, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And like, yeah, just a, a couple of points off for maybe some of the like build quality and like yeah. maybe could be some variation in gameplay here and there to just level it up a bit more mm-hmm. but in general this is a pretty damn good game and i play it again and again and again nice thank you very much yeah. Shem. would you um would you like me to round off by getting my tipples out yes um <clears throat> let, let, let's do this properly okay and now it's time for timmy's tasty tipples where Tim pairs drinks with the games that we've discussed today. 
Well, first of all, I'll, I'll start with mine. We may need a theme tune for that. I know. <laughs> do, 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 do. Ping. <laughs> a little. A little. Oh, that didn't. Yeah, you need a kind of. I need. Like, I need my wine glass. Yeah, exactly. Could have done it live, I would have planned. Anyway, um, so for patchwork, mm-hmm. I was thinking about textiles, and mm-hmm. and actually, um, you know, where I live very much fulfills that brief because this was uh, a centre of leather manufacture. We on Bermondsey Street, we have the textile museum. I live on Tanner Street, which is about oh, you know producing. Leather. Producing Thanks. leather goods, exactly. Yeah. So they did it all around this area. Um, but I'm aware that I have used and abused my, my area and the uh, Bermondsey Beer Mile as a recommendation for drinks in the past. So I thought... You, you have. Uh, yeah, so I thought, <laughs> I won't do that. Instead, because I did say I can picture sitting on the floor and, and drinking wine, I'm going to recommend Quilt Wines, which oh. is a brand of wine that pays homage to the patchwork of vineyards in Napa Valley in California because when you see it from above it looks it looks like patchwork and there's a there's a brand that comes from there called Quilt Wines for that reason that's so, really good. That is a really good link, Tim. Yay. Good. Thank that. you. Well done. Gold star. I'm actually slightly more pleased with the next one I came up because uh, <gasps> I've I've got you a pink drink, a pink milk drink that is alcoholic. Oh, my God. And I have to say, listeners, like Tim didn't know what game I was talking about until nope. a little bit before we started, I... like literally minutes before we started. So he's done well. When you said pink cow, I was like, I know a pink, <laughs> a pink drink. So it's panther milk. Um, you'd be pleased to hear it's not actually made from from panthers uh, of any variety. It is actually an oat milk, and it's um, the as far as I'm aware, it's the only alcoholic oat milk you can get. It's Aww. inspired by a traditional cocktail that they make in Spain, uh, where they do um, they do add alcohol to um, uh, to milk. But this is actually made in Glasgow. Um, so it's been made, I think it was founded around 2015. It, it, it was a pop-up in Glasgow. Good old Scottish oats. Good old Scottish oats. Scottish booze. Yeah, it was, it was pop-up in Glasgow in 2015 um, called Panther Milk. And uh, they went on Dragon's Den like a couple of years ago or something to, to get funding for it. But it's this delightful alcoholic pink oat milk. So I'm going to recommend that. Amazing. And you, when you drink it, you can sing Pink Panther, Pink Panther. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just kicked my mic. I'm sorry. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) You got overexcited by cartoons again. (laughs) It just always happens. Oh, well done, Timmy. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Well, thank you very much. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode of My Turn Podcast, where we delved into uh, democracy hands-on games and um, cows that break when you squeeze them. Uh, (laughs) We've had quite a fun one. Um, Yes, do share this podcast if you enjoy it. Please, please, please consider giving us a five-star review on your platform of choice. It really, really helps independent podcasters like us to be discovered so we can join more uh, fellow geeks and game lovers um, and talk about fun things together. Yay! Together. Um, yeah. What was that from? I, I don't know. I just I was singing the word together. If I felt oh, like okay. I was going to launch into a song about togetherness, but I didn't have anything specific. <laughs> After all that democracy, Tim, you just want to go it alone. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Together forever. <laughs> that one, that one. Hey.